0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. And as a young website, uh, you know, in a a newish podcast, this is clearly our first Super Bowl show. So I can guarantee you it will be our best Super Bowl show ever. Uh, Joined today (laughs) by Brady Papinga and Brady Quinn. As always, we're going to dive right into it, guys. This is a Super Bowl preview show. There's plenty of other places, podcasts all around the country, websites, doing stuff, uh, radio programs, TV, anywhere you can go to get a lot of storyline stuff. We're going to try to rely a little more heavily here on X's and O's, the matchups in the game, and the stuff that actually goes on in and around the game because we got three players on the line. So I'm going to start with you first, Brady Popenga. uh You have uh, one of the more unique situations. You got a Super Bowl ring with the Packers in 2010, uh, but you did get injured prior to that game, and there's, there's sort of another pretty high-profile guy in this particular game, uh, Charles Tillman, that's not going to be out there for the Panthers. I was curious, just in your perspective of being, you know, a big part of a of a championship team, playing all the way up until December, getting injured, and then sort of coming along for the tail end of the thing. Uh, any ways that you can contribute? How how did you how did you digest the game on that day? Sort of what was that experience like?
1: Well, you just become a sideline coach, you know, and uh, you just try to do anything you can to help. Like with myself, I went. Uh, to the defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, and my, my uh, outside backers coach, and just say, guys, uh, what can I do for you? And, and Kevin Green, with his his sweet old voice, like uh, the macho man, Randy Savage, said, Brady, why don't you write down the plays for us? And so basically, <laughs> I became like a clipboard court guy, and I wrote down, so every, every defensive call, I'd write it down. And then when the guys came off the field... I would go to the bench and I'd say, okay, this was the call, on first down and ten. This is calling second and eight, and you would go down that series. And he would look at the uh, Kevin would look at the photos that align with the, each specific play call and just see how it executed based off of the photos. Which we know the photos tell you the before snap. Look at things and then like one snap after the snap. It's pretty right. limited, but that was my job. But then uh, I, I do have to say that there was a time with Frank Zombo. He was going against Flozell Adams, if you remember him. He played with the Cowboys several oh, years. But this year, yeah. yeah, Flozell, man, the big guy. I mean, this guy's like a building. But anyway, he's really sure. top-heavy, especially late in his career. And Zombo just kept bull rushing and bull rushing and bull rushing because with uh, Ben Roethlisberger, as I'm sure, and you've already talked about it, Matt, with uh, Cam Newton, you're gonna, have, we would do what they call a bull and mirror kind of rush, where you bull rush and just right. mirror around for these. Guys elongate to plays like Roethlisberger did and as Cam Newton can do. And so finally I just told Zombo, I go, Zombo! And Zombo apparently plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. I go, Bro, go up, fake like you go to bull rush, because all he does is stand there. And like, he's not moving his feet. He immediately stops his feet. I go, Just spin inside to see what happens. He's like, You sure, Brady? Are you sure about that? What if I don't? But I go, Don't worry about what if not? I go, Worry about if you make the sack. And so he goes half tear. And sure enough, first. Play where it's a pass. He goes in there, fakes like he's going to roll us, spins inside and sacks Ben Robertsburg. So I could say that uh, I had someone that' a, a little influence on that yeah, particular play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. So you're just sort of like a coach, trying to help the guys out. And obviously, it's bittersweet when you win because you wish you could be out there as a guys. But overall, you look back at the journey and you know that when you do win, it's not just because of what happened in that game or in the week previous. It's a cumulation of many years of guys investing their bodies, investing their time, investing anything you can imagine to to make it happen. And lo and behold, that that moment's accumulated in in that particular uh, time in space in terms of it being when you win the Super Bowl. So even though I wasn't in the game, I still felt very much part of it and felt like I had a big role in helping that team become the team it eventually became.
2: Well, now, Brady Quinn, I've got a, an interesting question for you uh, because this is something that, you know, having gotten to play in three of them myself uh, and knowing how unusual sort of the lead-up to the game is, uh, there's all that extra time. The game's kind of at an oddball time in the middle of the afternoon. Maybe for your acclimated to four 4.30 games, it wouldn't be as weird for you. But the game, you know, it's a specific time, earlier game this year. I think it's 6.30 out here when the thing will start. But your, your body clock's a little off, uh, and there's all this huge amount of time from the time that you go out and warm up, then you go back in the locker room. So the reason I bring this up is, obviously, you were a former quarterback. Uh, Tom Brady was sort of famous for, for actually taking a nap in the locker room uh, prior to the game time. So he'd gone out, done his little run around, and was able to sit down in a moment of calm and actually fall asleep. I, I'm curious just from your point of view because you would know all the different things that a, that a quarterback got run through his head there in pregame, all the different – maybe if you have a scripted first-hand plays, you know, whatever checks you're going to go through, the audible stuff. Uh, is sleeping – is that crazy to you or, or have you ever found yourself in a calm enough place where you could sleep prior to a game?
0: You know, it's so funny you bring that up, Matt, because that's actually something that I remember hearing way back when. About I think it's Richard Petty he used to be an old race car driver. He would yeah. have a similar routine. He would actually relax before the races, lay down and take a small nap. And the reason being is the science is pointing to the fact that supposedly I, I don't know the the hormones or the chemical balance in your at your brain uh, in your brain state at that point in time when you wake up or, or when you you know come back to consciousness, you're supposedly at like your heightened level. Like that's like at the ultimate level of which you would want to go into a high stress environment in order in order to perform at your highest. I think they call it like your alpha brain wave state because uh, I've actually done some research on this because I thought it was a <laughs> but it's but it's actually true. Um, so so yeah, there's actually there was times our head coach in high school used to have our team do that, and like during the course of like ups and stuff, and it kind of wow. started from then. And then I heard I heard about this to Richard Petty, then Tom Brady, and that would be something that a lot of players would try to implement in their routine if they could. Now, it's not as easy. I think there's other guys who just, you know, can't seem to find a way to find peace and and get that that sort of, you know, rested before a game. But it's funny you bring that up because that is actually – it sounds probably crazy to a lot of people. But that's more the norm, I I would say, than the outlier at times, at least for some quarterbacks out there. Maybe if there's some last-minute changes, that would be the only thing that would, uh, as far as on your game plan, that would interrupt that. But for the most part, man, that's, that's not out of the ordinary.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, that, that's that's pretty cool. That's interesting stuff because I personally was would hear that story and still played with them for a while after that. And, and I'm thinking bloody murder in the pregame. So it's really hard for me to, to conceptualize the ability to, to knock myself out you know, without an ambient or a, a hammer or something, you know. But uh, it's, it's, it's cool, and I think it highlights sort of the different requirements for each of the different jobs. Uh, it, one of the things that always sort of struck me is – Bizarre with Brady is how fired up he was once he got on the field. Like most quarterbacks, you'll see Peyton off this side, you know, licking his fingers, uh, talking to position coach, you know, going through the papers. Brady always does that, you know, hitting helmets with guys, sprints up and down the field, yelling in the stands. You know, it seems a little more like Cam's personality. Seems a little bit more like some of the quarterbacks in the league, but a lot of them aren't doing that. You know, I've never seen you know uh, know, Eli Manning do that. (laughs) You know, just it just doesn't uh, doesn't fit. But I mean, again, I think it shows you there's a lot of different ways to sort of peel that orange. Uh, okay, so now let's dive here sort of in the nuts and bolts a little bit more of this game. Uh, obviously, we all understand sort of the circumstances around the game. We had the one-week buildup. Each of you guys have written uh, different subject matters in relation to these two teams already. We're going to continue to dive in more on footballbyfootball.com throughout the rest of this week. But we've, we've been around most of the corners of this team. We also understand that as things hit, sit today, when, when the two championship games ended a week and a half ago, uh, I think they opened line at about four and a half. I think it was four and a half on the game. It's crept up to five and a half, but it hasn't gone over a point, so our full score. So clearly, the, I think the consensus is that Carolina's a favorite. I'll start with you, Brady Papinga. Make a case, and it doesn't have to be that this is necessarily your opinion that it would happen, but make a case for how Denver actually could win the game.
1: Well, Denver would have to force – Cam Newton and that offense into making mistakes, which in the last couple of weeks in the playoffs, he hasn't done much of. And the way you're going to have, they're going to have to do that they're going to have to find a way to not only pressure, but contain him. Pressure him to the point to where he's going to have to feel uncomfortable, get off a spot, and then contain him to the point where he's not breaking loose and, and gashing that pressure for big yards with his feet. And a lot of that could come through deception. You know, show him one thing, you know, two, three plays in a row, and all of a sudden in that same situation, show him that same thing and then give him something else. Uh, you know, and the Wade Phillips kind of defenses have that capability in terms of showing pressure, showing pressure, then giving that same pressure look and then all of a sudden blasting out into a very conservative, deep to short kind of defense. And so I would say that would be the biggest thing is you've got to somehow force that Panthers offense, most importantly, Cam Newton, into making mistakes, giving him something that looks like one thing, but it's really something else. So he he throws an air and throw that they can pick off and then turn that into points because outside of that, uh, I don't see how the Panthers could really be defeated, to be honest with you, by the Broncos uh, just based off of the two games that I saw versus the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals.
2: Brady Quinn, how about you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I don't I don't necessarily know that
0: um, we, we've got to have Denver make Carolina do anything as far as making mistakes. I just think that if they could stop the run, if they could stop Cam Newton and Tolbert and Jonathan Stewart in the running game, and not allow them to be able to rely on that for the play action pass, and to put them in more third and manageable situations. I think that's where that's where the Denver Broncos can win. Now, in saying that, obviously that goes along with Peyton Manning not making any mistakes. But I think it all starts with and really ends with the Carolina Panthers running game. If they can get that going early on, they're going to be able to dictate the tempo of the game, and which and how they want to play. I think they'll be able to manage third down a little bit better because when you get within that third and five area in third and four, third and three, you've got your entire playbook still in play there because you've got a quarterback that can run the football into the zone read each that can be very effective. So they've got to keep them in third and seven plus, I think, throughout the majority of the game. And either, either to force them uh, to have to throw the football and be one-dimensional, that's where you turn Von Miller loose. That's where you turn DeMarcus Ware loose. I think if you can do that, that, that's a win. I think that's how the Denver Broncos need to dictate this game. I think otherwise Carolina is going to be able to find a way to win.
2: It's interesting that you go there. It's actually a topic that, that, uh, as we're recording this Tuesday show, uh, hasn't yet shown up on footballbyfootball.com. But uh, I wrote about this. uh, It'll be up here on the website in a day or two. About sort of maybe an anomaly. You know, I, I I don't know that to be the case. Well, I guess we'll see how history goes from here. But I think we really have two offenses here in the Super Bowl that are both rather mediocre passing teams. And I I, I say that with because in regards to Denver, just that they've had a bad year throwing the football by their standards, especially. And Peyton, again, if you you buy into just a complete, total, pure stats interpretation of things was for the games that he played, had some of the more statistically poor games of any quarterback in the league. Uh, the Brock Osweiler stint was more modest, more middle of the road, but still not spectacular. Uh, the Panthers uh, numbers are more modest on the passing game because they don't need as much. I think you guys both emphasize the point of their ability to move the football on the ground. It's just really what, what they do. But I think it's, it's interesting. I think it's worthy of sort of a Petri dips mention. And when we look back on this season, the importance of running the football, I mean, I I have still have always been one that believes that it's still a football league, not a passing league. I think the teams have to have complementary football. I think the Patriots are actually a great example this year of over-reliance on one part and not enough the other. And now, it doesn't mean that every team in the NFL is going to go out and draft a first-round running back this year or overspend on a guard or something like that. But it does make me wonder, much like Brady wrote a wrote a good column for us uh, earlier last week, about how you know, Cam Newton's success might prompt teams to buy in a little more on this dual quarterback idea. I think sort of the second part to that is beyond just buying in on that particular player, buying into the importance of moving the ball on the ground. Like it's not, it's not a fad, it's not change or something like that. Or I wouldn't even call it evolution to go away from it. it you still, It's still a game of going from here to there. And it's a lower risk proposition You spread people out. And you still run the football. It's just as effective in my view. So I think it's kind of interesting that, you, you know, when you're top scoring teams in all of football, do it running at first, which just seems crazy in this era of football. But it's going to be fun to see how that plays out. Now, we go out in the Super Bowl here and Peyton has a, a game like he's had a couple of years ago just for some oddball reason. It does throw for 350, 400 yards, something like that. Or, or Cam throws for a bunch of touchdowns. I think that would aid in helping people to forget about the run game part of it. But if both teams do what they do best and both teams sort of lead with running game, I think that makes for a kind of cool little sub story. But I know that doesn't move the dial as much. Uh, I'm going to sort of shift here. I want to send this back to you, Brady Panga. I'm curious on this sort of angle because we've talked about, we, we sort of touched on the defenses here a little bit. I think the thing that leads most of the Super Bowl conversation this week because people are are trying to find a reason to believe in Denver as well. They've, they've had a great season. They're now in the Super Bowl. The thing that everyone points to is that defense, and it's very good. Uh, but one of the things I think that happens in these kind of media buildups is you, you tend to forget about the other one. And one I think the of the four units that are out there, the Carolina defense hasn't gotten a lot of credit. And I really think Carolina is a complimentary team. They, they get a lot of those points that they put up off of great short fields or plays that the defenses make. Can you talk a little bit about sort of an undersold defense, I think, in Carolina Panthers, a group that, that turns the ball over, and makes plays all over the field?
1: Oh, yeah, and it's spearheaded by their two defensive tackles. Keewon Short and then star Luke Tilleli. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. I don't know. Close. Uh, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, starring Keewon Short, man, those guys make that whole defense go. And, it, you know, the greatest example of that is you rewind back to the Seahawks game to where Keewon Short pressures Russell Wilson into throwing that interception that Luke Keekley ended up picking off and scoring a touchdown on. And then from actually, it was the first play where Star penetrated in there, and tackled. Marshawn Lynch for a three yard I mean, line three yard loss and it just compounded from there. And then those guys, they make it to where Thomas Davis and Luke Keekly can just flow, silent to silent, nobody touches them. It's a beautiful world, especially when you have guys that can run and are aggressive like a Luke Keekly and a Thomas Davis who sounds like he's gonna play even though he broke his forearm. Uh, but you know that, that to me is what makes that defense go. Now it's a bit nice on the cake because you got quite the secondary, you know, led by Josh Norman. And so, really, on all levels, they got playmakers. They got guys that are not only dysfunctional, but they're dominant. And they impose their will throughout the game. And we saw them, I think, fly, flying in all cylinders in the NFC Championship game against the Arizona Cardinals, whether it's just pressure on the quarterback, Charles Johnson getting pressure, Key short, Shorten, those guys getting pressure, causing turnovers to Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis when he wasn't injured, making big plays, to the secondary where guys like Josh Norman will just popping up and knocking balls down. It used to be, you know, games previous for the Arizona Cardinals, kind of conventional comeback routes or out routes. And so to me, they're just on all levels, a complete defense. They play well against the run. They're excellent covering, excellent rushing. And they're uh, somewhat of a microcosm of the whole team in terms of completeness and balance.
2: One of the things I wanted to say to you, Brady Quinn, and I think this is, this is interesting from a quarterback standpoint for me and had to play on the defensive side. One of the things that that I notice about Carolina's defense and studying them is they like to show things, but they, I think more often than not, they end up in something relatively basic. They move around a decent amount pre-snap, but a lot of these crazy plays, I think in contrast to maybe like in Arizona, that's going to do more pressure looks that'll move around even Denver that will, that'll do a little more goofy stuff. i uh, Carolina is by and large relatively vanilla. Can you talk about, you know, what what Peyton is going to have to deal with? Uh, you know, what might prompt a check because he's so good at getting into the right run play, things like that. If a team just stands in a 4-3, if they stand in a four-man line and they've got all three linebackers off the ball and the coverage has changed between one or two or three different things, but it's not terribly exotic, how do you go after that as a quarterback? What are the things you're kind of looking for?
0: Well, the biggest tell you're looking for if you're Peyton Manning is some sort of idea of either the box count you're going to be getting, obviously, which you'll see pre-snap based on alignment and their tendencies, but obviously also uh, any tips to if indeed they are going to try to fool you before the snap of the football and rotate to a different coverage. Now, I think Denver, the Denver Bronco offense, as well as Peyton Manning, are in a good position because the Carolina Panthers are somewhat limited on the back end. Because of some of the injuries that they've had this season. You know, obviously, right. everyone knows about Josh Norman. He's, he's arguably, you know, playing as the top cornerback in the league this year with the ways, you know, with the way he's played. I mean, he's been a lockdown corner. A few guys have been able to have production against him this season. The only one I can recall is Julio Jones, who again, uh, right. you know, right. the Falcons gave him their only loss of the season. So he's going to see a Manila defense, but that, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to execute because this is a defense that, one, brings a lot of pressure. And I think they do a good job of not necessarily giving away anything as far as when they're going to blitz and so forth. So, again, he'll know based on their tendencies, fronts, and so forth, and alignments, but they do a pretty good job of holding the water until the snap of the football. The other flip side of it, though, is he's not going to have to deal with a ton of post safety, in my opinion, in part because Robert McClain at the cornerback position, they're not going to want to leave him one-on-one. Especially not if he's going to be matched up on Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. So that's going to be a little bit of a predicament. I think that's why the Carolina Panthers have played a little bit more zone coverage this year, more of that split safety look and try to run some different blitz schemes through there. And also because they've got those athletic linebackers. Whether Thomas Davis uh, it plays or not, that's okay because AJ Klein's come in, he's done a good job. And then you've got Luke Keekley, and those guys do a really, really good job of reading quarterback size. Dropping into coverage and be able to make plays in the football. We've seen that with Luke Keekley recently, Thomas Davis as well this year. And you guys just noted, obviously, the push of that defensive line. And we all know Peyton Manning is not getting out of the pocket. So the ball's got to come out of his hand quick. So this is going to be one of those game plans where I think the Broncos are going to have to run the football. They're going to have to dink and dunk uh, in order to work their way down the field. I just don't, I, I, it's going to be hard for me to see the Carolina Panthers giving them anything easy, even though their game plan going into this game. Might be somewhat simplistic. Besides the fact that they'll be bringing a variety of blitzes.
2: Well, I'll I'll bring this up here. It's good to get the the quarterback point of view on what the defense can do. I think if you flip over to the other side, uh, Brady papinga uh, What I studied on another column we did this week, uh, actually on the Broncos running game and. As we sort of talk about how it's vanilla, and when I say vanilla, that just means they're not changing the scheme quite a bit. There's not five or six different fronts. It's relatively balanced fronts. They do change up if they blitz or not. But uh, you're going to get a lot of stretch game out of Denver. That's kind of what they do. Gary Kubiak and, and the stretch mm-hmm. game back to the old Terrell Davis days, the, that old Denver running game, it's, it's similar. Uh, but this, I think, C.J. Anderson actually really thrives in that environment. He's gotten better throughout the year of having less negative runs, letting the block set up sometimes actually out leveraging his own blocker and then cutting back behind them. Good stuff. And and as I was trying to study, I was trying to figure out a way, okay, how could, how could Denver sort of utilize that and maybe take advantage of Carolina because they're so aggressive. And as you mentioned, they flow so well, Keekley and Thomas, they, they fly. Uh, but if you're running a stretch scheme and you have a guy who's able to put the post to the ground and cut back at the right time, those are when some of those biggest plays happen. Can you talk about sort of the experience of playing linebacker on the flip side against these stretch teams, the things you got to look for, the things you got to be wary of. You don't want to overrun plays, things like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point because there's the one weakness of the Panthers defense is their very strength, which is they are fast. And when you're playing an offense like you mentioned with the Broncos and and their, their offense with that stretch play, the off of that are the boots and the waggles to where you get those defense moving one way, and all of a sudden, boom, you come right. back with a boot. And I remember playing the Broncos with Shanahan or even the Redskins when he was there, and that's the one thing that you have to really be careful with and you have to have eyes looking at what we called elephants on parade. I don't know what you called it in your defense. <laughs> right, right. Meaning you got to look at the, how high the hats are the offensive linemen. If they're high... And they're giving you that strong stretch run look. You're thinking, and another term we use is you got to smell a rat, smell it out. You got to think, okay, they, this can't be a run because, generally speaking, these guys are cutting on the backside. They're flying out with low helmets to to run blocks. So you got to look at that key, and then you have to be able to redirect. And if you're in a zone drop, you have to be able to turn and run and get to your landmark. If not, usually, interestingly enough, if you're a man-to-man, it's a little easier to play against that because you're just keeping your eye control on your guy. Uh, but even even saying that, I know a number of times we played the Redskins and even the Broncos started doing it. Uh, is that they would run sort of like a double a double switchback, to where they would fake run left and then everybody would fake boot to the right, but then the deep crosser or the deep dig guy. He would fake like he was going to go to the right with the boot, and then you'd get guys jumping in front of him thinking, oh, we got this red, and all of a sudden he would cut even back. He would double back.
2: Wheels out, And
1: yeah. he'd be wide open. And so, uh, the, to me, for the Broncos to be able to run that, it's going to put a lot of stress on Peyton Manning and his ability to move because he's the key in that situation is your quarterback being able to boot and get out and really counteract that stress. Run, run fake from one direction to the next. And so that'll be something I'm sure they're going to want to use, but can Peyton pull it off? That's the question that we'll, uh, we we'll see, see answered on Sunday.
2: <laughs> I would, and, again, I'm going to throw this out here not to try to cause a debate with either you two guys, just something to consider, if, you know, we're talking about this team in weeks later. I'm still not convinced, and I don't mean this to be hot taking. I certainly don't mean it to be disrespectful to Peyton, but I'm not convinced personally from study that, they would be much different or much further off if Brock started. I really don't. I just don't think that's the key to the game for them. But uh, one of the things I wanted to, to and, and it actually be able to run the waggle stuff you mentioned a little better, but one of the things I did want to hit on because we, we have a habit of this. I know as a special teams player, we tend to get overlooked. And going through the Super Bowl week, I, I remember so many people want to talk to me about my, my, my favorite, Food, my favorite beer, where I met my wife, uh, what was my favorite board game? All this stuff beyond just hey, what schemes do we run? <laughs> you know, like what that there's there's a hundred different ways to run a punt return, a hundred different ways to run a kick return. Yep. Those stuff decide games. And we've seen this, Jacoby Jones at the Ravens a while back. There's there's been kick returns and punt returns for touchdown scores in a lot of these Super Bowls. Uh, I'm looking, and I think this is a particularly interesting game because Ted Ginn, uh, who's also their top receiver is an extremely dangerous guy in the punt return game. And Colquitt, the, uh, yeah, it's Dustin, isn't it? No, it's not Dustin. That's his uh, brother cousin, whatever. Britton Colquitt the, for the, the the Broncos. He hung some bombs in the AFC Championship game, and the Patriots kind of got killed by their gunners. Uh, their gunners uh, were splitting double teams and gotten down in force and fair catches. But I was watching Britton in that game and thinking, this dude is kicking super returnable balls. I mean, they're really, they're 54-yard, you know, gross end net. And I'm wondering if that kind of ball, Gunner's blocked up, all of a sudden, the biggest thing we'll be talking about on Monday next week might be Ted Ginn in the punt return game. And I flipped to the other side, and I looked, you know what, because of injuries, Emmanuel Sander gets in the game as well. So I'm just curious, looking at, you know, sort of a step back, and again, I know Brady Papenga, you played in this part of the game, and and Brady Quinn, maybe not so much as a quarterback, but... I'm curious. That's the thing I point to. I want to send it back to you, Brady Quinn, and then I'll go to you, Brady Penga, on some elements of the game that we're not talking a lot about right now, but that might actually have a pretty big effect. For me, it's punt return. How about you, Brady Quinn?
0: You know, that's definitely one of the things that I think I'm looking into as well, Matt, That's because that's, I think that's kind of the missing piece is we always talk about offense and defense. I gets a lot of play. But it's the field position battle. It's the return game that's going to play a big factor in this game. And we saw in the NFC Championship game the elusiveness of Ted Ginn, right? We saw it on the reverse, where actually reverse back across field to run for the touchdown. So that's going to be a huge part of this. You know, the O-line play always seems to get overlooked a little bit, and I think that's going to be you know something that you know sometimes you get a little bit concerned with, um, only because again, if if one of these, you know, whether whether it's the Broncos' defensive line, you know, dictating the fact that. They're not going to allow the Carolina Panthers to run the football. All of a sudden, Michael Orr and Mike Remmers' jobs at the tackle positions for the Panthers become a lot harder. And all of a sudden, right. those, those big boys and being able to you know play a factor and being able to hold down those edges become a lot harder. But but I'll say this: that the, I guess the one thing besides special teams that you just noted is it's going to be the offensive adjustments and the, and the I guess the game plan with Mike Shula because something that he does really really well, Matt and Brady is he gives them the chips on the edges. Yep. He helps use the tight ends. He does all that. So I'm curious to see how they go about game planning for the Denver Broncos uh, and what and what kind of job Mike Shula, quarterback coach Ken Dorsey, do in helping to prepare Cam for this game, given that they've had a couple of weeks. Are they going to have some tendency breakers in there? Or what are they going to do to be able to affect this very, very tough pass rush of the Denver Broncos defense?
2: How about you, Brady Papanga? Is there some element of the game that, you know, you can go through an entire media week and never mention – but you think it'll have a pretty big effect in how this thing actually turns out.
1: Yeah, you know, and along the same lines of what Brady was talking about with uh, Carolina's ability to run the ball and Denver's ability to stop it is, can Carolina exploit the press man coverage of Denver? And that's what really Wade Phillips loves to do, you know, and he's got guys that he can deal with to keep the lead, and, and when you're in that press man, you're not only disrupting, but you're also pretty much taking away any safety valve and allowing those rushers just to get after the quarterback. But the downside of that is we know with the running quarterback is if you're looking at your man, you're not looking at the quarterback. And uh, he can take off and and gash that kind of defense. And so what kind of plans are going to be in place to where you're going to be able to get away with that press man coverage but then at the same time be able to account for Cam Newton and not let him just run wild while you're trying to run your staple base defense? So, really, it's gonna, that, that kind of coverage and the elements of the variation, I think, are going to be the big underlying theme for the Broncos in terms of their success because, as we know what that covers also, it's a heck of a strong coverage against the run because now you're able to bring an extra guy down in the box to generally and, you know, he's helping out with uh, covering the tight end if it's a single-back situation, and if not, he's just coming out and being that extra man in the box, and you're just basically telling the uh, – the offense said, hey, we're going to man-press you. Let's see if you can beat us and uh, or even just run into the face of that. And if you can, then we're going to have to make some adjustments. And if not, we're going to be able to control the game from a disruption standpoint on all levels. And so, to me, that's going to be a big-time theme for the Denver Broncos defense and then also on the other side of the ball for the Carolina Panthers and being able to exploit it
2: one of the things that, that always stood out to me is guys that had weird cadences, guys that had weird voices, guys that would really throw. One of the ones that always stood out for me, I don't know if Brady Pappingo if he was, if you played against Steve McNair, but McNair was sort of notorious for he, he'd throw his voice. He, and he had the big Southern drawl. It was really cool sounding. I mean, you could hear it all around the state, red 22, red 22, but he, his inflection was really good and you could draw guys off. Right. I love that. But one of the things that strikes me whenever I watch Cam Newton is he's yeah Eddie! he's got that growl and whatever the hell he's doing, but he's been one of the best guys in the league at drawing people. He has the the inflection, moves his voice a little bit. And okay, now the reason I bring this up to you, Brady Quinn, is because of the issues that Denver caused a week ago or two weeks ago, I guess, with the Patriots with uh, Von Miller and Demarius uh and, and DeMarcus Ware. Just a leaping off the, the, the silent count. Now, this is a this is a Super Bowl game. I should should point this out to fans at home. It's not a road game for either team, although in some uh, Super Bowl scenarios, it can get loud. And I, and I know in some of ours, we would occasionally actually have to use silent count. So in the event that Von Miller starts flying off and jumping the count as he did so well in the AFC championship game. Brady, can you just talk a little bit about sort of how to screw with a snap count, how to deal with these guys you know are flying off the line?
0: Well, you know, things have changed so much, guys, you know, since that the, the audio has gotten so good in these television broadcasts, because now what happens is, and quarterbacks do this on a weekly basis, they all sit in there, listen to the television copy, and anything that they can remotely get a sense of what they think they heard, they're changing or they're trying to work okay. in a way of making that like a dummy call now. So not only are you watching your opponent, you're watching yourself with your coaches, and then you're watching yourself again just to listen to everything and all the calls that you're making and any of those checks and audibles. Because think about it. This is the Super Bowl, man. You've got two weeks to prepare right. for it. Anything right. that was said in the NFC, AFC Championship game, even along the course of the season, they're going to have an idea of, of what that means, whether it's a run to one side or another or, or as far as, the actual cadence itself, if there's a code word to tip them off to the count. So, you know, like a lot of times in the New England system, you'll remember this, Matt, that Omaha, which we also famously hear right. uh, Peyton Manning use, it just meant that you, it was coming on blue go. So it will be Omaha right. blue go. And, and, and that was kind of the case. And that was, you would check to Omaha if you wanted to expedite the process. So what you're going to hear is you're going to hear a lot of different variations of maybe some things you've heard around the course of the season, but they might be changing it up. They might be using it as a dummy count because, as you mentioned, it's not a home game for one team or another, although I will say this. One of these two uh, fan bases will travel better than the other, and I think there will be some some noise to some degree um, that would cause, you know, like you had mentioned, Matt, you guys having to go to a silent count. Now, if that's the case, that's the, the difference maker is being able to have a silent count where you go a silent one on a leg kick, silent two, silent three, or you manipulate the way in which the center then turns his head because a lot of times it's going to be keyed off when the center puts his head down, back up, one 1000 snap. That's your typical timing for a silent count when a quarterback's in shotgun or even under center for that matter, just so it all synchronizes everyone else's get-off-the-football-on-the-offensive line. So they'll then change it up by turning his head to the right really quick, or they'll do a quick where he he bobs his head down and up really quick and snaps, or they'll have him turn both ways. So there's all kinds of variations they can utilize. You better believe in the Super Bowl, all going to be up there. They're all going to be accounted
2: for. <laughs> One of the things I was, I was curious in is I was looking at Ryan Khalil because he's a center for the Panthers, and after the problems that the Patriots have with that, and I think a quarterback can contribute to this. Uh, you know, if you work, it down to, you work it down to inside five seconds to every snap count, then regardless of what the center does, they're going to be able to jump it because they know that last sound. Or the last pause, it has to come out. So, if for some reason Cam's working it down to one, two, or three each and every snap count, well, then he's given he's given both Ware and Miller a big head start. The one thing where I don't think they'll have the issue, and again, this is this is in this is really unique to all 32 centers that snap in the league. They all have their own little routine. Some some teams do the, the the guard tap, you know, where the center reaches out and taps the leg, and you'll know then that he can just send it back. Uh, it, it works rather than him having to peek between his legs, then back up again and have to worry about, you know, if they're timing the amount of time his head was up. Uh, Khalil doesn't look back between his legs. He keeps it up the whole time, which, you know, he may take a peek over his left or right before he gets himself set. He knows where it's at. He does his, his sort of scan around the front. Uh, once he gets the tap or it's sound or leg, whatever it is, that's sending it for him on a pick your play. He sends it back without the peak. So I don't. I think it was the peak and then the amount of time that came after it that, that Ware and Miller were jumping off the time ago. So I don't think that'll come up. But I'll, I'll be honest, I will not be surprised if we see Cam draw several people off in the game because he's so good with that. He has such an unusual cadence. So that'll be something for fans at home to think take a peek at, because it's a little different than the stuff you normally hear. But uh, we're going to sort of wrap the show up here. And I never do this usually, guys, but I think this is a unique situation. Uh, we don't usually go hardcore predictions, and this isn't going to be a, you know, cut off your thumb if you miss it or anything like that. But I'm just curious, you know, your, your sibling as sibling up for sale here. Or whatever. There's some serious uh, – Serious consequences to win or losing. Where do you go in this game? I mean, what is your gut really telling you? And I'll start with you, Brady Penga, How do you see this game shaking
1: out? Yeah, well, when I saw Carolina firsthand against the Seattle Seahawks, who I thought at the time was potentially the most complete team in the NFL, and they just, I mean, beat them in all facets. In a dominant, overwhelming way in that first half, I figured if they played that way, again, if they were able to replicate that, that they would be unstoppable. And then obviously in the second half they weren't, if Seattle was able to get back into it. But then lo and behold, against Arizona they did for a full game. And so if they're able to have that carryover, I, I, just, I just don't see how Denver's going to be able to match up. They're too complete of a team, Carolina. They can beat you in so many ways offensively. And then defensively, like we were talking about, that's an underrated aspect, and they're still really good in all different levels defensively. So when you just look at the full completeness and balance of the team, I'm going with Carolina. I think they they win by two touchdowns. How
0: wow. about you, Brady
1: Quinn? Oh, man. You know,
0: I don't think it will be that big uh, of a margin of victory, Brady. I, I think there's definitely a chance for it to be that case, particularly if Peyton Manning turns the football over. But I think it will be close because I think Peyton Manning, for the first time uh, maybe in a long time or maybe ever in his career, to kind of realize all he has to do is kind of manage this game, make some plays like he did in the AFC Championship game, a couple of throws in the red zone, to Owen Daniels, things like that, to keep this team in the game or even possibly win them the game, uh, and then kind of ride the coattails of the defense. I think Wade Phillips is one of the most underrated defensive minds in the game of football. Uh, you know, and, and that, that doesn't mean he's going to be a great head coach you know, at any point in time. It's just you know, maybe he's better off as a coordinator. He, he's got a good job of preparing uh, for opponents. In particular, ones um, that that have the kind of a skill set like a guy like Cam Newton, even though the, their defense hasn't seen many of those guys this year. So I think it'll be close, but you know, again, based on you know what we're looking at with a guy like Cam Newton, he can just hurt you in so many different ways. And I think that defense, um, the thing that stands out to me about them is they get turnovers, and and. They've been a little bit underestimated, too, in the discussion of everything with the Super Bowl because everyone keeps talking about this number one defense in Denver. Well, the one thing that Sherman's wins and losses in games is turnovers. And if you're talking about the turnover margin, the Carolina Panthers are number one in the league. They're plus 20. The Denver Broncos are minus four this season. So if I had to kind of put my money uh, on one stat that's going to make the difference in this game, it's going to be turnovers, and the Carolina Panthers have been better than anyone else this season. So I think it'll be close – Uh, But I think it's going to be the Carolina Panthers by a margin.
2: Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Panthers. And I guess the debate for me is, is kind of what you guys are hitting on. Brady, the says, big margin, Brady Quinn says smaller. I think we'll know early. And I think we've actually touched on the, the main reason why, if, if there is no running of the football, if that if that's just not a big part of the game early for Carolina, then Carolina will be in a dogfight. But I don't think that you completely eliminate them if they have that struggle. Because one of the things that, you know, sort of watching Carolina over the course of the year, they're actually a very good team in close games because they get really hard conversions. You know, they're not stressed by third and four because Cam can pull it down and get that. They're not stressed by a lot of the situations that I think hurt other teams. I, I think they're they're... They're, they're calamity-proof in a lot of ways, and that's that's why I think it's kind of what you touched on right the finger. They have insurance uh, all up and down their roster because they have so many different ways they can beat you, and they're not dependent upon one little thing. So if for some reason they have the big, booming running game and Denver struggles to stop that blowout, I'd, I'd go bigger than your 14 points. It could be like they did to Arizona, like they did to Seattle. Yeah. If Arizona or Seattle were facing uh, Denver, I don't I'm not yet convinced that those guys wouldn't be favorites anyhow. So I, I'm just of the mind that if Carolina can do that to those teams, hell yeah, they can do it to Denver. Now, I say all that, and if if they shut down initially and turn it into a dogfight, I still say the Broncos will struggle to score 20 points, but I can conceivably see it being the 22-20 kind of game. Everything, I think, does hinge on that running game, because, but that doesn't preclude or that doesn't simply mean that Carolina will win. In my eyes, it just changes sort of the way the game will be played. But I think it's going to be a fun one to watch, buddy. Enjoy the game. We lost Brady Quinn. He had to bail for another engagement. But uh, we are off to Super Bowl weekend, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all turned down and break it down on the other side. Thank you, Brady, and take care, buddy.
1: Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the game, man.
2: Now, the other two guys are off the line, but I did want to give you sort of a heartfelt thank you for all of our listeners out there. It's been a long season of plowing through and putting out columns on footballbyfootball.com. All the guys, especially Rocky Boyman, Brady Quinn, and Brady Pinga have pumped out a lot of great content, spent a lot of late hours getting stuff out, and then also turned around and done podcasts with us each and every week throughout the season. That takes some serious hustle. I love it from those guys, and we hope that you appreciate the stuff they put out there for you. Love having them on here on the podcast and doing it for you that way as well. It's been a very exciting season for us. We love sort of getting to give you a little different point of view, but... That is all that we have for this week's show. Hopefully we put something there in this show that you can take and sit down and watch that game and have a little expertise yourself. Once again, thanks for listening to this Football by Football podcast. As always, you can find the FBF podcast for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page. And give us a follow, if on Twitter, at FB by See you next time. And enjoy that game. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by football players.
0: Hi, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.